Sounds good. All right, here we go. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Strategy Inside Everything. Uh, once again, this one is brought to you by Twitter, not as a sponsor, but as a uh, connector and conductor of <laughs> these topics and conversations. Um, I published a tweet as I've been trying to get ready for 2019 season of uh, this show. And I've been reaching out to people, not just in the agency world, but uh, producers of content. God, I hate the word content. Uh, producers of uh, shows that I like and, and entertainment that I like, along with people on the brand side and really try to bring more perspectives. I've been surprised how many times I've been shut down by their PR people or just a general fear that, hey, I, I want to come on and talk about this. Uh, but I can't. And somebody raised their hand uh, via Twitter and said, hey, I want to <laughs> come on and talk about that. And I thought, this is perfect. So welcome, Jack Appleby. How are you doing? Hey, I'm great. How are you? Uh, Jack and I have been connected for, I don't know how long, but maybe a year or so and chatting a lot. Um, I posted this tweet and I thought, he said, hey, I'd love to come on and talk about that. And I was like, let's do it because you are uniquely qualified. And I would love if you could give a little bit of your background and then uh, I think it'll become apparent um, why I think you're the right guy to, to start this conversation. Sure. Yeah. I, I mean, it, I, I think it's a fascinating topic how uh, agencies are so happy to talk about themselves, uh, but maybe aren't empowering people to do the talking for them and, and not allowing them to kind of just transparently discuss things that can be beneficial for everyone. Absolutely. Um, yeah, but uh, I mean, to your question, um, a little bit about my history. Um, so I've been an agency guy my whole life, uh, kind of fell into it, not fully understanding advertising. Okay, it was a marketing major and uh, got hired by a social media agency um, back in early 2011 uh, when we were all discovering that social budgets were going to become a thing. Um, and I spent many years at an agency that was purchased by a, a larger agency called Eisenberg Group, um, where I was a social media strategist, working my way up to senior strategist. Um, I did a lot of very cool gaming work there. Um, worked with uh, WB uh, Interactive, worked with DC Comics, um, did some Microsoft work. I was a strategist on the uh, Xbox social media agency of record account, um, as well as the lead strategist on uh, Microsoft Surface, uh, Minecraft there for a spell, um, and a bunch of other games. Rock Band 4 was the one that I got to work on. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, um, that TV show. fun. yeah all kinds of fun entertainment and gaming stuff. Um, from there, I went on to an agency called Laundry Service, um, where I was the director of strategy for the LA office. Um, and my main account was Beats by Dre, social media agency of record. Um, and then since then, I've, I've kind of been at a couple other agencies. Um, recently worked at a gaming agency called Petrol, um, where I worked with a lot of Bethesda games, if uh, anyone's familiar with a lot of the first-person shooters that they work on. Oh, yeah. um, and then, as of the last couple of weeks here, um, I've actually started as director of creative strategy um, in the gaming vertical at Midnight Oil, um, big agency in Burbank, about 300, 400 employees um, with 360 offerings. And I'm there as part of a new team that's building the gaming vertical for us again. That's awesome. That's awesome background. Thank you very much. So part of your, um, your job actually is to create the strategy for, for these brands to figure out how to communicate on social and, uh, you know, what they're going to say, what they're not going to say, how it's going to make people feel, how it's going to move people down the funnel or how it's going to make them react towards the brand and the products. Um, but your own personal feed is pretty wide open. You're not, you know, it's like just from reading your occasional tweet, I know a lot about you. I know you love the NBA. I know you're into gaming. Um, so I thought it was pretty interesting how quickly you jumped on this topic. Yeah, no, I, I'm a big believer in transparency um, and, and just kind of being candid and, and even like, let's go as far as saying vulnerable 
as far as like who you are as a person, an employee, and, and even as a brand. Um, I think that a lot of that comes from having come from the strategy route of social, which it, it's becoming more and more common now. You're, I, I mean, as I've hired strategists over the years, a lot of people are starting in social just because there's so many different, uh, av- there's so much availability with that title at the moment versus the kind of the traditional planner or junior account planner or all the traditional variations of strategy titles. But because of that, like coming from an editorial background and a social background, we've just always seen from a, lo- from a long time that being honest and open with communities or consumers or wh- whatever buzzword you want to call them today it just always performs better and it builds so much more brand trust um, and just emitting when things are going good or bad. It just works. And I think being very real with people is something that you see a lot of marketers call out today. Like be authentic is the, the, the favorite phrase that everyone right. shouts. Um, but I, I always laugh that so few marketers or advertisers with the way they handle their personal socials, uh, they're clearly not comfortable being themselves. Well, it's, it's, they want to be authentic, but they want it to all come through one speaker. You know, they want it to come yes. all through the, the, the public voice of the company when, you know, a company like just picking one at random, not anything that we've discussed, but like take a brand like Converse and they've got how many employees? Let's say they have, I don't know, 5,000 employees that work at Converse, which is a sub-brand of Nike. Why not let those employees, and I don't know that they're restricting them, but wouldn't you encourage those people to continue the the authenticity of the voice by speaking out and being free to speak? Absolutely. I mean, I forget what I had read, so so apologies to whoever I'm quoting here and not giving credit to, Um, but there's a piece I had read where they're talking about how all of your employees should be treated as micro-influencers for your own company and how these are the people who, like, if you can't educate the people that work for you, on how to speak about your company, like good luck trying to actually influence creatives or another, a third party agency or anybody else on what you're trying to achieve. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. Is, is it more of a fear that the people will get the message wrong or is it kind of like, Hey, if we, if we encourage them to speak about, you know, our brand message, then they may feel free to speak about things that are secret or bad stuff that happens. And we just want to squash it all together. You know, I'm not sure to be honest. I, I came from, because I came from social agencies to start, like it, it was so opposite in some ways that it was almost like jarring to me to learn that some of my superiors or even clients did not want certain things discussed publicly. Now there's the stuff that's common sense. Like there's certain metrics you can't share unless a client's comfortable with that. We all know that. There's plenty of NDA material. Um, that said though, like, the amount of case studies that are shown like to me is, is almost shockingly low that there's not, there's not more public knowledge out there that agencies and their employees are comfortable sharing. Like, cool. This is how we accomplish things. This is how we worked on it. We can do this for you. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> and you can go to the websites and find the case studies. But if you try to ask people to speak about it, it's like, well, I'm not allowed. I really can't speak about that. And it's like, well, I've, I actually have read every detail about it on in, ad age and your case study that's on your website and the uh, can lion video like what do you think you're going to reveal that hasn't already been put out by your own pr team right um yeah no it's it's fascinating um i worked with a client in the last couple of years um who it's it's interesting i obviously won't call them out by name um but they were very adamant about for their company culture they didn't want people posting even on their personal linkedin's 
about the work that was going out, um, whether that was like an announced trailer um, or some sort of YouTube series or social content. They actually didn't want their employees personally promoting those wow. because it, it, in their mind, it caused kind of an individual, like I achieved this type of mindset, um, which that's one way to take it. Um, I think it's a unique perspective on that, to say the least. It's not how I personally would manage that kind of thing. Um, but it seems like that exists more often than not. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Back in the early days of the, of the really, the truly social web, um, the early 2000s, like even pre-Facebook, when people were starting to put up their own websites, uh, creatives were posting videos and spec spots and other stuff. And I can remember at an agency that I had already left, but people that I knew worked there were getting not quite cease and desists, but uh, emails from the brand saying, hey, you have this up on your website or, or an employee has this up on their own personal website, please have them take it down. And it's like, what? How, how much control does the brand get? I understand why they want to protect their image, but it's an alternate take or something like that. That doesn't really make the spot any different. doesn't hurt the brand. Nobody's seeing it. It only gets sent to a recruiter. I mean, nobody's going to a copywriter's website for Christ's sake. Yeah, no, and, and don't get me wrong. There's again, there's, there's like a common sense line somewhere. Maybe that's, maybe that's more difficult to define than we realize. And that's why these rules exist. Um, I remember there was a, a game that uh, the title leaked because an old designer of the game had put it on their LinkedIn that they were working on it when the game hadn't been announced. To me, that should, I would hopefully fall on the common sense side, like maybe don't put on your LinkedIn unannounced products. Um, but at the same time, it, it's, it's this thing where I, I'm trying to understand why these companies don't see the value in letting employees pridefully discuss things that they are working on or even if it in the past worked on. Um, so I, I had one employer who um, very adamantly did not ever want me to discuss with a current client something that I worked on at any previous agencies, um, which was interesting. Um, and, and as I've kind of talked to my peers, I found that that's not totally unique to have that perspective. Um, but at the same time, like, I think it's such a limiter, like, uh, like as I was hiring for my team and, and I hired some really great people with incredible backgrounds, like I, I think there's real value in letting employees be very proud of the work that they've shown and bring case studies from their personal experiences. That's why we make outside hires to bring people in with new experiences who can show our internal teams and other clients like, these are other ways to do this. Yeah. Isn't that the value of having, otherwise everybody could just be a freelancer and have one way to do things. Uh, exactly. Yeah. It gets so homogenous if, if everyone's just kind of only speaking from their experience at one agency or on one brand. And we see that like the, the age of the employee that's been at a company for 15, 20 years, like that's becoming less and less frequent. And a lot of the companies that do have that type of culture are having harder and harder times adapting to new thinking. Yeah. You know, you said something earlier that, that I, I jotted down here. Um, you use the word vulnerable um, and you use it in relation to your own communication style and your own social platforms. But um, how do you apply that to brands? I mean, how do you, how do you explain that to them and make it meaningful to, to them as part of the strategy or is it something that you leave out? Yeah, no, I mean, this is where, so uh, I'll bring up a current example I thought was handled really, really well. Um, so Epic Games, which I think people far outside the gaming space are learning about now because they're the company behind Fortnite. Um, they recently put out a, an item that was overpowered and was causing problems in the game. Um, 
they very publicly came out on their Twitter and with a message that was essentially like, hey, we messed up. We didn't do this correctly. We've removed it. Like, hopefully we're good type of kind of language, like very casual language um, that was very well received. They were able to go back on something that they did that didn't work. Um, and people were thankful for that. Yeah. No one faulted and no one pointed a finger and said, we told you so. They didn't pull the Instagram like, oh, it was just a test that got out of hand. Uh, right. Yes, that, that just happened. It was like, right. hey, we're owning this. We, we goofed up. This is too powerful. Yeah, I think that's the point where the vulnerability kind of becomes the biggest like question for brands. It's like when you have a mistake or something bad goes down, I think the thing that I've, I've always asked of the clients I've worked with is like, what is the downside of actually admitting that you're self-aware and saw that this was mishandled? Right. And there's, there's a lot of fear in that. And it's, it's, it can be a scary place, but at the same time, those opportunities where, where we've been allowed to work in ways where we're honest and like, we made a mistake type of language or we're making this choice because of X, Y, and Z. Um, the responses have been pretty significantly positive or if at the least not negative. And it's not really radical. You know, that, that response was refreshing when I read the, uh, the Fortnite thing, but it wasn't like, oh, I, I've never seen anybody do this. It's just kind of saying, hey, oops. Exactly. And I, and I think that's where it's like, it's, it's so funny because we keep shouting these like, how many people do we see like, be human, be authentic. Um, and there's apparently these asterisks that we're not allowed to use, which is when a brand makes a mistake or when, a when you're an employee and want to speak about what's going on at your company. There's apparently these guidelines where it's like, be authentic except for these moments. Um, when there's so much, like there's honestly more value in being real with that type of stuff. Like even with my personal Twitter, like w you and I connected because of Twitter um, and I've made plenty of, um, most of the strategy teams I've worked on are small teams. So m many of my connections and who I've learned from have been through just building my Twitter, like, friendships right it's true um and, yeah and what's kind of really accelerated that for me is is just being really honest about where i'm at as a strategist where i'm at as a strategy director um and things that i've worked on and want to continue learning and learn from um and that takes that definitely took a little bit of a leap of faith like i have taken a different route to strategy director than many other people do i've never worked at a massive massive agency and i come from a lot of social agencies where some people really value that. And some people have a lot of question marks as far as what that means uh, to take that route. Yeah, um, it's because there's so many definitions of strategy to begin with. Um, it's, right. Like, it's true. It's like it, it leaves everything open to question depending on which path you've come from. Yeah, and I'm very open in that I've probably written less briefs than anyone with a strategy director title in America. And that's just because the agencies I've worked at didn't really work in those methods doesn't mean that much strategy work I did wasn't incredibly valuable and, and worked in different ways. It's just how different organizations worked. Uh, but it did, like, honestly, it took me some courage to get to the point to admit that because there's these certain standards of you want to maintain like, oh, I'm at this level, and I'm supposed to do X, Y, and Z. Um, and then I see myself fall into the trap of, of, against what I'm preaching about, like, be vulnerable, be honest, like, that's what makes you most human and people want these human connections anyway. Yeah. And but for brands too, they want to be, they say they want to be authentic, but I think when they say that for a lot of uh, marketing directors or people inside a company that, that has a brand communication through social or elsewhere, they mean it through a very narrow lens, like be authentic in these instances and these places. Uh, but otherwise we're going to follow this, these messaging points that we've crafted. 
Sure. And don't get me wrong. I think there's value in those. I think there's, there's plenty of people who maybe aren't strong of communicators, either through public speaking or pitching or social. And those type of talking points can be valuable. Um, but at the same time, I think you can teach the guidelines in a way where it's like as if you're providing a strong company culture and your employees are excited to be there and understand the differences between NDA work and non-NDA work or what can and can't publicly be revealed, you can em- empower your employees to tell some really incredible stories about like why they like working there, what was amazing about a brand, why that worked. Like work, I mean, even if you just want to look at a, a biz dev like path, there's plenty of work that can be brought in from a surprising employee who happens to know somebody who just feels comfortable talking about what you're working on. Yeah. Yeah. And I also, I mean, how much you can say a lot without being specific to a given product or some kind of detail about your, your internal workings and still communicate expertise uh, without giving away any trade secrets or, or outing somebody inside the company. I mean, there's a lot of, you just, at some point, it's good faith and assuming that people are going to be positive and have positive things to say and not just, uh, you know, come on a show or write a blog post that shit talks the company or gives away some critical detail. Sure. Yeah. And that's actually a big part of, of why I ended up joining Midnight Oil as I was looking kind of for my next role and see where I would end up. Um, you're doing your basic interview practice and making sure you're boned up on all the right questions and uh, everyone asks you what you're looking for. And, and one of my big things was just kind of a culture of curiosity. I wanted to work for a company that had a bunch of people who are very smart and very open to analyzing things and always looking at, at new ways to do things. It doesn't mean we're always going to land on something that's incredibly innovative. Maybe that a tried and true method is the right way to advertise a product. Um, but frankly, I just hadn't worked at enough ad agencies where I felt like their main metric of success was how do we properly sell this product? Right. I worked at a lot of places where it was we want to sell this specific type of creative or this specific type of work that we do that's better for our bottom line. I want to be part of something that was like, great, we got an RFP. What's the right way to sell this product? Right, um, right. Yeah, it's, it's funny. You'd think it'd be the step one, um, but with the way strategy has or has not evolved in a lot of agencies, sometimes it's totally overlooked because it's, it's the bottom line on strategy can be difficult sometimes yeah. uh, because it's not creative and it's not media. And I, that's part of why companies want to tamp down people from talking outside of the, the management team where the way they make money may not be transparent or the way the products that they sell or the, the products that they treat as loss leaders and what they're really trying to do are things that they are protective of. And I mean, agencies are, there's only a couple things they make money on. And now there's a lot of things that are lost leaders or ways to get people in the door that, man, that can be a scary place if you're running an agency or if you're at the top. That's, and that's why so many agencies lead with, we sell this kind of work versus we solve this kind of problem for our brand clients. Sure. Yeah. And, and again, like that, that's how I ended up uh, landing at Midnight Oil um, is as I was chatting with them. Um, because it's a, I'm working on a, a new vertical or a rebuilding of a former vertical, let's say. Um, and I was asking for their vision and, and what they're trying to accomplish here. Um, there was a lot of transparency on like, honestly, right now, what we're trying to do is we want to hire um, some of the best minds that have worked in this space um, across strategy, creative, production, accounts. We, we want to hire a bunch of really smart people. We want to really look at agency models and see what's working, what's not working. Um, and we'll go from there and we'll figure this out. And like, we, we're, 
we want to hire people whose backgrounds we're very proud of and, and we're excited about people that have worked on big things that have been successful and we want to tout all of the combined experience of the team that we're building to show what we're capable of. Um, which it's, it seems so straightforward and clear and obvious, but it's, it's funny how few agencies are actively messaging themselves that way. No. Yeah. It's well, or if they do, they become, uh, you know, perf- they get categorized as performance agencies, which is somehow a different thing. Yes. Even though I think what we're all trying to do is create performance for our clients. <laughs> You'd think, right? I mean, that's how it should be, but who, th- who knows? Yeah. Um, and, and as I was discussing, as I was finalizing my deal with my new agency, like, like something I talked about and obviously how you and I connected was uh, I do take a lot of uh, effort and time into, for lack of a better phrase, uh, my personal brand, if you want to call it that, um, which is really just kind of, I mean, you've seen my Twitter. It's a lot of me kind of throwing a lot of strategy thoughts and ridiculousness into the ether um, <laughs> among me and my, my little group of strategist friends. Um, and I just like discussing this kind of stuff. I can talk about this stuff all day long. Um, and I, and my employer and I talked a lot about that. I was like, you know, I enjoy like speaking on panels. Like I enjoy podcasts like I'm doing right now with you. I enjoy writing. Um, these are things that I, I do for me and I'd love to do it for the company. Um, and you know, I've in previous companies, some of them have not wanted me to do that kind of stuff. And they kind of gave me a side eye and we're like, no, 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 we, we want you to like, like go be Jack Appleby, like go be Jack Appleby for midnight oil, but like go do that kind of stuff. Anything, any press you get for yourself or any friendships that you make, that's good for our company. Yeah. But what's the downside? This is the part I don't understand. Why wouldn't you want your strategy director or somebody inside the tech of your uh, your company to be able to get out there and speak. Like, who do you, if you don't trust people to represent themselves on your behalf, then who is in your HR team? Like, what are you doing? Sure. And, and maybe it's, it's, it's a little less fair for me to be speaking now that I'm at a director role and have been for a couple of years. Um, but even in my earlier years when I was, I was held a strategist or a senior strategist title, these were things that I liked doing and was comfortable doing. Um, and sometimes was discouraged from doing, um, I, th- I mean, I can only speculate. I think there's a couple things. I think one is control, um, like we've talked about. Like, like there is the, the desire to constantly control the message, um, which, I mean, frankly, I think is somewhat of a fool's errand. And a lot of the time is, is misunderstanding that there are people who can tell the story in different ways. And it's still true to whatever your company or brand is trying to achieve just through a millennial lens, a Gen Z lens, a pick your generation lens. Right. Um, so I think the control is part of it. I, I do think there's a, a little bit of a generational thing there where it can be a little scary to, to see all of your employees like tweeting about things that you're working on. Um, and then I, I definitely have seen there's, and this is a slightly different topic, um, but I, for companies that really push the team effort thing, um, when I don't want to sound like I'm, I'm saying there's a downside to, to team effort, I have a big believer in it, it takes a village. <laughs> uh, I don't, wow, I sound like very, uh, I, I don't, I can't wait to hear what comes. Yes, that, I promise that we're coming to a point with this. Um, <laughs> I, I'm a big believer in allowing employees to take ownership, um, and giving credit to all kinds of people like take a TV spot, give that, like give that copywriter who wrote the spot individual credits and let them know like how much they're, they were valued and let them say like, Hey, I wrote the copy for this TV spot. That's good for them. That's good for your company. 
it's good for everybody. There's no downside to that. And let your producer say like, oh, I produced this TV spot. Those are wins for individuals as well as the company. But I have found there's some companies who they don't ever want anyone speaking in that, like in that type of language, any type of I language. Well, it gets to that place where I've, I've witnessed that from the inside where, um, we, we want to produce great work. We want to let people know we've done great work. But if I tell anybody who was a part of the team that did the great work, they're going to get poached. And I understand that hiring is a, is a big, um, investment of time and resources and replacing great people is, is impossible. But my gut feeling on poaching, and this comes from being a, an entry-level employee all the way up through a, you know, a, a C-level person, is it's, it takes two people to participate in that. Just because a recruiter calls doesn't mean the person has to go or will go or wants to go. And they may come to you and ask for a raise, but if they've done something that won every award in the book, they probably deserve it. Sure. Yeah. And it's funny you mentioned the poaching thing. I actually never even thought about that. Um, and from the situations I've been in where I, I felt like I was discouraged from talking about work, I had never gotten the sense that it was out of fear of potential moves. So that's a whole other angle I'd never even considered before is the worry that public notoriety for individuals could result in uh, losing that employee. But I think it, it again gets to it's like, I mean, I've been a big believer, like as I've led strategy teams or groups or even just creatives I've worked with, like I'm the first person to champion that employee and that team member. It's like, look at the incredible work that this person did. Like, let's make sure they feel good about what they did. They feel valued for their contribution. And maybe that's a very like millennial type of mindset, but I think we're, <laughs> the workforce is mostly millennial at this point. And I think there's real value in that and making sure people do feel ownership. I'm a big believer in that people do their best work when they, their ownership is clear. That, that doesn't discourage team efforts and that doesn't discourage that it takes a village, but it allows people to build who they are. And especially as we look at like for, again, for the way you and I connected, the way people are going to talk about social is like, these are things that I worked on. Here's how I worked on it. Yeah. I think that's okay. But do you think it's a, I don't think it's a millennial thing. I mean, I'm Gen X. There are people that are, want to be out in the limelight and people that are comfortable being on Instagram every day and showing every detail of their life. And then there are people who aren't regardless, like, you know, my parents are, are on Facebook putting selfies and pictures up all the time. I don't know that it's an age thing that millennials are more inclined to want to talk, get credit or talk about it. I think people just who have done the work deserve the ability to take credit for it and be congratulated for it and show, showed off in some way, you know? Yeah. And, and maybe it's not generational. It, it, it could be, maybe it's a, I mean, maybe it's held over work culture things from, from, I don't know, old structures. Who knows what exactly is causing that kind of stuff. But I, I'm seeing like, I had a copywriter that I worked with that was great. Um, and he was actively discouraged from mentioning that he's the one that wrote a trailer. I was like, what is the downside of this for anything he does publicly? <laughs> like it's good for him and his career. It's good for us because we have this guy as an employee and it's good for our clients to know this is the, unless there's some weird situation where you don't want that person to be client facing, like, which he wasn't like, it's good for everyone to know that he did this type of work. Like I, I, there's, I do think there's some companies and some management systems where they believe that attributing credit to someone on an individual level somehow deters from an overall team environment, yeah. um, which I think is ludicrous. Like I, I think you can do both. 
I agree. You want to pump that person up and give them, empower them to, to improve and encourage them to promote themselves and promote the product and tell everybody how much they enjoy it. As long as you have them, as long as they're there with you. Yeah. And maybe this is some of my, like my team sports background in me, but like, I think competitive environments, as long as they're not toxic environments is a good thing. Um, I worked at an agency where even for internal stuff, um, when we were, we were very young, this is when I was at uh, Eisenberg group and we had a, a significant part of our department was below 27. Um, a, a huge part of our hundred person department was below 27. Uh, and when we get a pitch or new work, like it was very open brainstorm. And sometimes it was anyone could throw something in and other times it was, here's two strategists leading two different teams that are going to pitch against each other internally. And then we'll pitch something in the final pitch that's based off of that type of work. There was honestly like very little like toxicity to that at the time. It was, everyone was so young and excited about just working on this kind of stuff that it was healthy competitive and people were proud when they won, but they weren't sour when they lost because there was plenty of work to go around. Yep. So part of it is I wonder if, if it is signs of kind of, other toxic elements of agencies or other maybe, maybe things that aren't even toxic or just harder to control, but whether there's enough work to go around or I mean, any number of factors. Um, but I, I do believe like there's, you can build work culture where employees can speak very freely about their work environment without worrying about what their manager's going to think, where you can have kind of these competitive um, yet cultures where you're allowing teams to, think like and be proud of the work that they're doing and publicly speak about the work that they are individually doing without detracting from the, it takes a village mindset. Yeah. I, when I hear, you know, a, um, a company or somebody say, well, you know, I want to come on your show or I want to talk to you about this, but I really can't, I'm not allowed to, or I'm not able to, or I'm not comfortable. It makes me not only wonder, okay, well, I have this policy outbound where they have this, some policy that puts fear into people I wonder what it's like inside that, that company. This applies to beyond agencies. Some of the people I'm talking about are in, you know, big corporations, fortune 500 and, and closer to fortune 10. And they, I think, wow, that place must be a terrible, that must be a gulag that they're working in. If they can't even, you know, they're saying they're not even comfortable asking for permission to talk about something relating to their expertise. Uh, that, that's a scary feeling to me for free speech and for, uh, individuals willing to just say like, Oh, this is what is on my resume. Yeah, no, I, it's, it's funny you mentioned that. Um, I, so I do some personal career consulting, um, on the side, just mostly for fun just for people I care about. Um, but a piece of advice that I've given to two different individuals over the last two weeks is you've done incredible work and not enough people know about that. And, <laughs> yes. and like, like, like these two friends of mine who have done like truly sensational work where when people find out that they contributed to that, they're shocked because it's campaigns that everyone knows about. Um, and, and I've told them like, you need to work on like, again, for, for lack of a better phrase, like your personal brand, because people not only like want to hire you, but they want to learn from you. They just want to talk to you because you've done things that, people didn't know that they could be doing in this career path. Yep. Uh, and both of them had the initial like, uh, it's kind of weird for me to do that. I don't know exactly how to do that. Like, I think part of it is it can come down to like personal comfort and talking about yourself. I do think is a, is a different part of that. Um, but there is always kind of that company fear of, especially if you work at a big agency, it's like, what can I say 
without like infringing on what my manager or my client thinks. And, and it's, it's just such a, for lack of a better phrase, it's such a bummer that that's the current environment. Yeah, it really is. It really is. It's, it's, I mean, not everybody has to be out there. I mean, I'm on Twitter a lot, um, but I'm not always talking about the work I'm doing. I'm definitely not getting specific with it. Um, but a lot of it is, a lot of what I'm talking about is subtweeting things that are happening without referencing sure. brands or products or projects. Um, and if you're not comfortable doing it, I think that's a different thing. If it's fear, that's a second thing. And if it's a policy, then it's a, then it's a third and more scary thing to me. Yeah. I mean, and this is a topic I could go on forever about like, like a piece of advice that I, that I remember, I, I don't remember who had told it to me, but I remember it was a manager at some phase of my career um, was they had seen how I used Twitter and the advice they gave was like, make sure to not offend a future client. Um, Cause I do openly talk about brands and things and that I follow brands that I don't follow, like good campaigns, bad campaigns. Um, and it's something I've considered. And it's like, yes, there's theoretically, some world where someone would not want to work with me because I put up one tweet once criticizing a brand campaign. Um, that is a theoretical thing that could happen. And it certainly has happened in the past to people. For me personally, like I feel like what I've gotten to is this phase where like I can provide critical analysis of things. I'm not overly rude about anything that I do. And, and it's more thought leadership and discussion based and allowing people to contribute to this kind of thing. Right. It's not Which, just bashing. Right. It's not going, going out of my way to like go criticize a brand or something like that. It's a lot of more like, oh, I wish they had done this this way or, oh, there's ways that you can improve upon this. Right. Which has started, I mean, has started discussions with people who I've been critical of in the past um, in positive ways where it's like, oh, how could we do this? Don't you sometimes too think, have you ever seen, this is an old, um, I don't, I don't. I think it started on a blog. It may have started on Reddit, where somebody was shit talking the American Airlines website, and then someone from the American Airlines digital team responded and said, "That's a fair critique. Let me tell you why." And responded with this like ten thousand word with images and visuals and wireframes, and explaining the way the company was structured why it couldn't be as simple as this person wanted. It's probably 15 years old. Um, and uh, maybe I'll try to search it and put it in the notes if I can find it. Uh, but someone started with a critique and then someone else very rationally, not defensively, said like, that's fair, here's why. Um, and a lot of times when, I'm, when I go to Twitter and I say, why is this broken this way? Someone will reply and go, you don't understand this part of it. Like here's something that happens below the surface. And it's, it's shaped my viewpoint of... Um, assuming that smart people are working on these things and solving problems first before going, well, this is broken. They must be dummies, you know, which is, I think is what a lot of customers think when they encounter some bad UX or have a bad, you know, have a bad time with a brand. Definitely. No, I mean, I hadn't heard that exact example before, but that's a tremendous like showing of like the company showed some transparency and probably earned a lot of credit for that with a, a very niche community. Like that's a wonderful way to do that. And, allowing someone to speak that way certainly garnered them more positivity than negativity at that point. I should try to track down the author of that and see if he was actually allowed to or he or she, or if they just, um, you know, wrote it off the cuff, sent it out. And then somebody came down, <laughs> you know, yeah. someone from the, some lawyer sent him an email and said, please do not do that again. Yeah, no, it's it, it, what you mentioned is an interesting topic in that 
assuming that there are smart people working on things and there's a reason the way things are. It's something that I've wondered as I do, like as you've seen on my Twitter, I do a lot of uh, critiques, both positive and negative about various types of social campaigns. Um, and something I know having worked on a, a tremendous amount of these campaigns now is I can tell a lot of the time when something that's limiting a campaign is lack of funds or yeah. lack of creative budget. And that's something I know. And it's something I, that maybe doesn't make it into the, the 280 characters that I'm mentioning on this. Right. Um, it's something I, I've wrestled with is like, do I critique this knowing that the reason it probably happened is they don't even have a creative team. They've got a, a social media predator editor type of person. Absolutely. That's on their own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I'm getting as, you know, the more experience we have, the more intuitively we can dissect a bad execution or something that's just off by a little bit. And what I will now do is if I know someone at the company or the brand, I'll say, Hey, I just saw this thing. Here's my hunch of what happened. Um, I'll do that offline and in private just because I want to see if I'm guessing correctly. And it's funny how often they're like, how did you, how did you know that? I was like, ah, I just, I've seen that movie before. Yeah, no. And it's something that, that I try to weigh in when I do these critiques uh, of work. Um, and it's why I, I honestly do try to do, I try to highlight more positive work than critique work that's maybe like missing the mark um, yeah. exactly for that reason. It's, it's a lot easier. It's a, it's a lot more palatable. And I frankly just enjoy highlighting people's incredible work more than giving analysis of things that I don't think are working well. Yeah. Um, but it's one of the, I, I think on the other side of that, like there is value in like, great, regardless of what, what the team behind this was like, is it working in the social space or not? Because the general public also doesn't know this kind of stuff and they're not thinking about that element of the work. Right. So there, so there are different ways to analyze that where it's like, maybe even if there's limitations on X, Y, and Z, they still need to be approached differently. Yep. Totally agree. All right. Well, this was, uh, this was really good talk. I'm glad we were able to dig into this and uh, I wanted to thank you for coming on and wish you good luck in the new role at Midnight Oil. Thank you very much. Had a blast. Yeah, man. Uh, maybe we'll do it again soon. I've been coming up with some new topics for uh, this season. So I think you're on my list. That'd be great. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks, bud.